We're going to read two verses of Scripture. Find the book of Leviticus chapter 20, also the 99th Psalm. Leviticus chapter 20 and Psalm 99. We're going to talk about the holiness of God and worship. Leviticus 20 verse 26, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Then in Psalm 99, the Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy." Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances that he gave them. Thou answeredest them, O Lord our God, thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. I've told you before, the hardest job I have on a Monday begins on a Monday and sometimes goes through the week. And I told you Wednesday night, I'm still trying to determine what I needed to preach today. And I prayed over this message a whole lot. It's about the holiness of God. Now, who am I to tell you about the holiness of God? Mere words and our little finite minds cannot touch the holiness of God. So I'm going to try to share with you mostly what the Word of God says about the holiness of God. I believe that God has become so casual, so human, so buddy-buddy in the thinking of many people today that we don't understand the perspective of His utter holiness. Read the Old Testament. We're reading through the Bible. We're in the book of Numbers right now, but as we were reading through the book of Leviticus, I thought about these words and looked at this verse in the 20th chapter. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. He is powerful and he has a holy indignation against sin, against sin in general, and I think especially against sin among his people. And it is possible that we as God's people sometimes flippantly rush into his presence, unattended by repentance, unattended by confession of sin, and we become vulnerable, folks, to his holy reaction when we come that way. We must come before God in repentance and confession of sin and be right with him. You know, you're reading the Gospels and we see the Apostle John in the upper room and he's leaning on the bosom of Jesus. John is called that disciple, that apostle that Jesus loved. John and Jesus were very close. We see him in the upper room leaning over on Jesus. But what does John say about him in the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 1 verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John saw his holiness. John saw the glory of God and the glory of Christ. How do we come before God? Now, yes, the scripture says we can have this closeness to God from the book of Romans where we can just sort of almost like a child 
crawling up in his father's lap and saying, Daddy, Daddy. We can have that kind of closeness with God and we can be that honest and open with our Heavenly Father. But he's still God. He's still holy. And he still deserves the respect that he is due. At the burning bush, we talked about that a few weeks ago, Moses stood on holy ground. And God said to Moses, take your shoes off of your feet. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I have thought many times about when I stand in the pulpit, because I believe it's holy ground when the word of God is being presented, just taking my shoes off, folks. What made the ground that Moses stood on holy? Was it because there was a bush there that was burning? No. What made it holy was he was in the presence of almighty God. And you and I are in the presence of almighty God today. If you read the language of Israel's worship, just what they're told, what the word of God says, you can come to an understanding that they had the thought in their minds when they came to worship God that he was locally present, that he was right there. We know that he's present with this church when we meet also, folks. I said something earlier that, you know, two or three being together. I've preached to as few as four people before. We were doing a mission work and I would go over in the afternoons and preach to them and then get back to the church that was sponsoring them that I pastored and preached there. But I preached to four people, three of them were my family. I knew they needed it. <laughs> but the scripture says where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. And God is here today. He's here right now. Now the quality of anybody's worship, mine, yours, anybody's worship, is conditioned upon the object of his worship. You know, some people don't worship God. Some people worship money. Some people worship fame. Some people worship other things. And the underlying cause many times of our shallow worship of God's people is that we don't have a full grasp and recognize the holiness of God. God is holy. You know, most Bible commentators will rank love as the primary attribute of God. And the scripture says God is love, and he is. But there is an attribute of God that is above his love, and that is his holiness. Many churches distort the love of God, and in distorting the love of God, they try to become indulgent of sin and indifferent toward justice. Listen to what one man said, an understanding of God as he truly is, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, inflexible in his holiness, righteous in all his ways, unwilling to countenance sin, even in his own children, but gracious beyond all human capacity because of the eternal sacrifice of his son would be reflected in the worship of his name and thus would certainly bring glory to his person. Our worship is to bring glory to God, not to any individual but our worship is to bring glory to God. And the key to understanding biblical worship, biblical worship is an appreciation of the attributes of God, especially his holiness. I told you just a moment ago, I've struggled with this message. I've, ever since I started putting it together, Lord, is this really what you want me to preach? Now, Lord, I want, you to make, I want to make sure this is what you want me to preach. 
Lord, do you really want me to preach? And finally I said, Lord, if I'm going to preach this, you're going to have to do it. Because I can't do it. We need to comprehend the character of God with holiness as a primary attribute in order to understand our place as worshipers. The scripture says God is exalted. God is in the heavens. We are here on earth. I love Isaiah chapter six. If you're familiar with Isaiah chapter six, you probably love it too. But Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he realized the contrasting condition between God and himself and the world that he lived in. Then said I, woe is me, this is verse five, for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said, I'm gonna die. Literally, that's what he said. Woe is me. He said, I am going to die. I've seen the Lord. I've seen this heavenly vision. I've seen the Lord high and lifted up. And where am I? I'm down here with all these people of unclean lips. And not only that, I'm a person also of unclean lips. And until we see ourselves as weak and needy and God is lofted and exalted, we're going to be unable to grasp the significance of God's great holiness, folks. And it's going to be difficult to give him acceptable worship. The average person, even among believers, often thinks of any accomplishment. I did this. I got this degree. I got this job. I put together this sermon, right? If we're not careful, we'll think that way. When in reality, without God working in our lives, folks, we would have none of that. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And there's that verse I talked about a moment ago. For our God is a consuming fire. One man said this about God's holiness. There is a simple yet profound word which occurs 900 times in the Bible. What do you think that word is? You see it first in Genesis. You see it in the closing chapter of Revelation where we are told about God's creation of a new heaven and a new earth. But except for a few grand old hymns of the faith, you do not see this word much today. And that word is holy. We just sang holy, 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 Lord God Almighty that was and is and forever shall be. God is. Is holy. If we don't get anything else from this message this morning, I want us to go away from here. You say, well, preacher, I knew that already. Well, that's good. Just be reminded of it that God is holy. I think when we start thinking about holiness in our own lives, when we see the holiness of God, and we know I, there ought to be some holiness and some consecration and some dedication to God in our own lives. It gets real tempting to compare ourselves to someone else who's not as holy, who's not as dedicated, who's not as consecrated to God as we are. Well, I'm better than old brother so-and-so. I'm better than sister so-and-so. I'm more faithful than this one. I'm more faithful than that one. I heard about a little boy that told his mother, I am eight feet, four inches tall. He'd been measuring himself with a ruler. Mama, I'm eight feet, four inches tall. What happened was he was measuring himself with a six-inch ruler. Okay? <laughs> he was actually only four feet, two inches tall. 
but he believed himself to be taller than he really was. And it's easy to measure ourselves and our service to God using an imperfect standard. That imperfect standard is our fellow man. If you want to measure your faithfulness to God, if you want to measure your standing before God, I tell you what, stand yourself up next to the Lord Jesus. Okay? How do I measure up when it comes to standing beside the Lord Jesus and his holiness and his dedication to God. Someone said this, God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. Holy is the way God is. Listen, to be holy, God does not have to conform to a standard. God is the standard. So if we're gonna measure our holiness by the standard, we must measure it by God. Why did God say to Israel in Leviticus chapter 20 and also to us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15, why did he say, be ye holy? Because he's holy. That's why. God is holy. He wants his children to be holy. And by the way, when we talk about our being holy, we're not talking about being sinless. Amen. We're talking about being separated. We're talking about being set apart to God. And because he's holy, his attributes are holy. And so whatever we think about belonging to God, okay, we think of it as being holy, don't we? Well, do you belong to God? You've repented toward God and put your faith in Christ and you're saved, you belong to God, then God expects you to be holy. So we're going to look at the holiness of God only two points to this message this morning. And the first one is the holiness of God. He says, be ye holy for I am holy. All right? To fully live out a life of holiness, we must first get an understanding of God's holiness. Now I said, mere mortal words from this little finite mind cannot fully describe God's holiness. I think I've shared with you before at one church, I've said, I'm going to preach a series of messages or teach a series of lessons. I'm going to teach about God. And I'm not going to teach the things we normally are taught about God. You know, God's omnipotent and, and God's omnipresent and, and all of these things we think about God. I'm going to just really get deep and I'm going to get into the holiness of God and the purity of God. I taught one lesson and I figured out I can't do it. God is so great. And his holiness is so great that I cannot touch the holiness of God. So we're going to use the word of God to a great degree. Throughout the word of God, we are reminded of his holiness. We talked about Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. You shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. In Revelation, the fourth chapter, verses 8 through 11, what do we see? We have a picture of a heavenly scene. And the creatures, those heavenly creatures, angels are beings or whatever term you want to use, and the 24 elders before the throne of God, what are they constantly crying out? Holy, holy, holy. They're bowing down to him and crying. That's what Isaiah heard in Isaiah chapter six. Holy, holy, holy to God. Now I don't think we're gonna, for all eternity, be saying holy, holy, holy. We're gonna be, God's got something for us to do. I'm not sure what all of it is, but I think God's got something for us to do. But we will worship him, folks. We will recognize his holiness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, or complete, or holy, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. If you're a child of God, you're to be like God. That's what he's talking about. The scriptures are full of testimonies of God's holiness. 
I mentioned Revelation 4, 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Psalm 111, 9. Holy and reverend is his name. Now, I have a note to myself right here, and I mentioned it to the Sunday school class this morning. Do me a favor. Don't ever call me reverend. Okay? Listen, folks, pardon the grammar, but I ain't reverend. God is reverend, okay? You can call me brother. You can call me a lot of things. I tell people when I introduce myself, I've been called a lot of things, and some of them are nice, you know. You can call me whatever you want to call me. Hey, Jim, hey, you, whatever. I'll answer to anything. Just don't call me reverend, folks, because only God is truly reverend. Psalm 99.9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord our God is holy. Just over and over and over again. Isaiah spoke of Jehovah as being holy some 30 times in the book of Isaiah. You get the thought that maybe God is holy? Well, he is. And his chief attribute is his holiness. Now I'm gonna point this out and I may repeat myself in just a moment, but you do not violate the holiness of God and get away with it. Lost people that reject Christ. And I listened to a wonderful message the other day and this preacher was talking about rejection and Christ being rejected. And he says, you know, that's the only thing that's going to send you to hell is rejecting Christ. He says, you don't go to hell for killing people. You don't go to hell for stealing. And I'll use his words. He said, you don't go to hell for whoremongering either. He said, you go to hell because you rejected Jesus Christ. That's why you go to hell. And so some people will say, well, I'm just not going to decide right now. He said, oh, yes, you made a decision. You decided not to decide. And when you decided not to decide, you decided not to accept Jesus. You rejected him. So God's holiness is defined and given to us. God's holiness is described. And I must admit, I don't know how to describe the holiness of God. How do you do it? Oh, we can use words like set apart and other words I've used, consecrated, completely righteous. But what does that mean? See, I can only understand that with this thing up here, with my human mind, with my human thinking. But what does it mean in relation to God? I think it's seen in the actions of the scribes when they were writing out Scripture. They were copying Scripture. Because if you ever study that, you'll find that when they were copying the scriptures, when they were copying the Old Testament, they had to first of all prepare themselves mentally and spiritually and physically to do so. You know, it might be a good idea when we read the Word of God just to prepare ourselves spiritually, especially to read the Word. So what does it mean to prepare yourself spiritually to read the Word of God? Maybe just pray and ask God to open His Word up to you. There are so many things that we read over i give you one of them. Sorry about repeating myself, Sunday school class. This, I thought it was good. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but I'm talking about when Cornelius, the Roman centurion, was saved. And if you read that, Peter says in the end of that 10th chapter of Acts that he's saved by repentance toward God. He says nothing about baptism. He's saved by repentance. He gives evidence of his salvation because the Holy Spirit came upon them, the scripture says. And you know what they did? After he was saved, after he gave evidence of his salvation, 
he was baptized. Hey, how about that? All those folks that want to say baptism saves. No, it doesn't. It is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But these scribes had to prepare themselves. We ought to prepare ourselves. When they came to write the word Yahweh, which spell it, you know, Y-A-W-E-H or however, literally the word means the Lord or the Lord who is to come. In your Old Testament, in the King James, when you see the word Lord written in all caps, that's this word. And many times it has a reference to a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three that came to Abraham's tent out in the wilderness. Well, two angels because they went into Sodom to try to get Lot out. But who was the third one? I believe it was Jesus. Says the Lord. And so the name Yahweh, when they came to write that name, here's what they did. They got up from their desk they cleanse themselves, they put on new clothing, and they got a brand new pen and wrote that name with that brand new pen. And when they were finished writing that name with that brand new pen, they threw that brand new pen away so it could never write another word. That's how special the name of God, the name of the Lord was to those Old Testament scribes who were copying the scripture. Kind of makes me ashamed of how casually we use God's name today, you know. As we think of God's holiness, there ought to just be an overwhelming reverence and an overwhelming sacredness as we consider him. Jesus taught us to pray in the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, what? Hallowed. You know what the word hallowed means? It means to make holy, to sanctify, to set apart. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Set apart. Your name ought to be set apart, Father. Your name ought to be set apart, Lord. And today, God's name is not that holy to people. We take it so casually. You know, there are people who use God's name to damn or condemn somebody. We've all heard people say that. And used to, there was a time in this country at least, somebody tried to say that on a television show. It'd get cut out, bleeped out. They'd be told not to say it, but you just turn on TV today. And you hear God's name used in so many ways that are not complimentary and that certainly are not holy today. Some people use God's name to express surprise. Oh my God. Well, I hope he is your God. But you ought to be careful how you use his name. Or they'll put in a text, O-M-G. And we know what it means. And it's just lowering the name of God. Used to use it to take an oath, didn't we? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Now we just say, I swear to tell the truth, and whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me. So instead of swearing by the holy name of God today, people swear by themselves. Well, my goodness, no wonder we get so many people Lying in court, all right? That's, that's what it is, all right? Just say it, tell it like it is, preacher. But all of this reminds us that God is and to be set apart in our hearts. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify, that means set apart, okay? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So God's name ought to be set apart in our hearts, our lives, our minds. It ought to control our living. It ought to control our thinking. 
It ought to control our speech. And when we are different from other people, by the way, it ought to control our outlook too, shouldn't it? Because God promised that Jesus is coming back and if you're saved, you're, if you die before he comes back, you're gonna go be with him anyway. And if you're alive when he comes back, you're gonna go be with him anyway. <laughs> and we ought to, it ought to control our outlook and when people say, what is wrong with you? And let me tell you what's right with me. I know Jesus. I have hope. I have glad expectation. I am a child of God and Jesus is coming back for me. God said so and God is holy and God can't lie and I trust God because God is unique in his holiness. There's not another one like him in all of the universe. And then the holiness of God defined, it refers to his intrinsic purity Again, one of these days, this whole universe is going to conform to that standard. He's going to have to melt this stuff down and, and <laughs> speak a new heaven and a new earth into existence. But he's going to do it. God is perfectly sinless and God is completely holy. And you, I said again, you, I said I'd repeat this. You don't violate that holiness and get away with it. There's at least two elements, right, quickly, to God's holiness. Two elements. And the first one is the thought of his greatness. How great is God? Anybody want to give me an idea? I don't have any to share with you. I've got one verse of scripture, all right? How great is God? How vast is God? You know, David said in the Psalms, if I go down into the grave, he used the word hell is used there. If I go down into the grave or the pit, he's there. If I go up into the heavens, He's there. There is nowhere you can go to escape God, to get away from God. And listen to what Solomon said when he was dedicating the temple and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven nor in the earth which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold heaven, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. People look at the church house and say, that's the house of God. Well, it's the house where the Lord's church meets. But God doesn't live in here. He's here when we gather together in this capacity to worship him in spirit and in truth. But this building, you know, people come in here... Some, uh, we had uh, the water department come in one time. and They walked in and they said, well, it big, looks bigger in here than, than it does from the outside. And people are always amazed at how large the sanctuary looks just based on what they see from the outside. I sort of like that. I don't know why, but I sort of like that. But as large as this is, and it's not as big as some sanctuaries, but as large as it is, this room cannot contain God. It's been dedicated to the worship of God. God meets with us when we meet to worship. But it cannot contain every bit of God. And that's what Solomon is saying. God is totally above and beyond us. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Try to think like God for a minute. Can't do it, can you? God's thoughts are here, so high up, and our thoughts can't even approach God's thoughts. Our ways can't even approach God's ways. There is a profound difference between God and those that he has created. 
Exodus 15, 11, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Who's like God? There's not another one like him. The second aspect of God's holiness, the one we usually think of first is his purity or his perfection. God always acts in a righteous manner. No matter what God does, folks, it's right because he's God. I don't care what he does. If he were to call me home right now in the middle of this message, it would be right because he's God. He will do what is best for his people. We live in a polluted world and we try to find a way to get along with sin because we've, we've been inundated with this pluralistic ideology. And so we just sort of say, well, I've got to live here, so I've got to find a way to get along with sin and sinners and, and all of that. But God is unstained by and uncompromising with sin. Totally pure. The best way to look at God's holiness is through the eyes of Isaiah. And I'm just going to turn there. It won't take but a minute to read in Isaiah chapter 6. I said one of my favorite chapters. You know, I'm always talking about favorite verses. Well, this is a favorite chapter. In Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. God is so holy, they couldn't look upon him. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Angelic beings. We're not to worship angels. But angelic beings worship God in heaven. And God's purity makes even angelic beings blush. They cover their eyes. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, that verse I mentioned a moment ago, when he comes into the presence of God, Isaiah is forced to acknowledge his sinfulness. Then said I, woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God made Isaiah capable of serving him. As a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips, he was not ready. And then God got him to where he could serve him. Holy also has an ethical element to it. The complete separation from sin is not only God's essence, but it is his character. A holy and righteous God. God is holy in thought, God is holy in word, and God is holy in deed, folks. Now, that's all I'm able to say about the holiness of God. There's a whole lot more, but this little thing up here has a problem just understanding it all. But the verse also says, because this is what God said in Leviticus, he said, be ye holy because I'm holy. So what does God expect out of us? We're going to look quickly at what I call the holiness of God's people. 
What does understanding God's holiness mean to us and what should it mean to us? A child carries the characteristics of his father. I received a compliment last night. We were at Larry and Cherry's, his birthday get together. I did something I've started doing just out of, I guess, my personal desire to honor our dad. We have a family get together. I dress like he did, wear a pair of khaki pants and usually in the wintertime a flannel shirt. And I even put on my suspenders and was standing there and a great niece came around the corner. She said, I came around the corner and for just a second I saw Papa standing there. And now folks, that's a compliment to me. And then I get told I act like him and that's a compliment to him. <laughs> you know, you have to understand what I'm saying there. But a child's going to carry the characteristics of his father. Think like him sometimes, act like him, look like him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to believers, said, Be ye followers of God as dear children. That word followers is the word that we get our word mimic from. Okay? So mimic God like children mimic their parents. Have you ever watched a child mimic their parents? Act like their parents, especially a small child? When Erin was young, she liked to put on her mother's shoes. Walk around like mama. But children mimic their parents. And the word of God says mimic God. God is set apart and separate. And we are to be different from this unclean world, folks. Just like God is apart from this unclean world. Now, that doesn't mean we're to be holier than thou. We're not going to get anywhere with people, get chances to witness to them anything if we're holier than thou. If we go around with our noses up in the air like we're something better than them because we know Christ and they don't, we're going to be a horrible, horrible witness for Christ. But we don't have to act like the world either. We live like God tells us to live and we witness of Christ. In fact, we're to consider ourselves ambassadors for God and ambassadors for Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20, Paul did and his request, here's his request as he asking the Ephesians to pray for him. And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is an official envoy. An envoy is a messenger, a representative, especially when he's on a diplomatic mission, okay? And so an ambassador is a diplomatic agent of the highest rank to a foreign sovereign or government as the resident representative of his own sovereign government. We have ambassadors all over the world. And what are they doing? They're representing the United States. I hope they're doing it well, okay? <laughs> I hope they're not doing a bad job of it, but we have ambassadors, and so we know what an ambassador is. Well, folks, we're supposed to be ambassadors of God and ambassadors of Christ. Now, again, an ambassador is going to stand up for his government even in a foreign land. He represents us, not that nation that he's in. And so we're to stand up for our Lord and for the things that the Word of God teaches and for the things that we know and that we believe. Listen, the world is going to draw certain conclusions about God based on observing us. They're going to look at God's people. 
They're going to make observations and, and have opinions about Jesus and about Christianity in general when they watch our lives, our attitudes, they hear our words. The world's going to say, aha. And the reason some people say there's too many hypocrites in the church is because there's too many hypocrites in the church. There's too many people who profess Christ as Savior, and they don't mind telling people that, by the way. Have you ever noticed how some of the most, well, I, I just might as well be plain, right? How some of the sorriest, most unfaithful church members don't mind telling people where they're a member, what church they go to. And they're living ungodly lives out in the world. And people say, uh-huh, I thought so. That's why I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Because it's nothing but hypocrites. Well, that's not the case for everybody. And generally, we'll let the worst representative, the worst ambassador, be the one we follow, the one we listen to. Well, don't listen to them, okay? Knowing that God is holy and that we reveal him to the world by our lives and that he, by creation and because of our salvation, has the right to require holiness of us. And he does should cause us to give unto him, first of all, the glory that's due his name. Give unto the Lord the glory that's due his name. How much glory is due his name? All glory. Give God all glory, okay? Anything good that happens, give God the glory. But we also should walk circumspectly in the world, minding our lives that we give a good representation of God. I want people to think highly of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ when they see my life. That too many preachers in this world that give a bad representation of God, of Christ, and of Christianity just by the lives they live. Okay? Number three, to declare him to others. God's holy. God has a right to expect us to witness. God has a right to expect us to declare him to others. And he has a right to expect us to treat all things that are connected to him with the reverence that is due his name. Whether it's the word of God, whether it's how we come in to worship him or, or the worship service itself or whatever, do, we should treat it with a reverence that is due the name of God. I haven't said I'm going to close twice, but this is the third one. I heard the same preacher say, you know, every Baptist preacher has three closes. His first two don't mean anything. They mean I'm just getting started. He said the third one really means we're getting ready to finish. Well, this is the third one, okay? Even though I didn't have two others. Many years ago, some of you may remember it, some of you may not. I don't know if it was a bestseller or not. There was a book called The Ugly American. Anybody ever encounter that book? The Ugly American. It was a fictional account of an American ambassador in a third world country. But because of the way he lived and the way he treated people and the way he acted, he gave a very poor accounting of the United States of America. He forgot who he was representing. He only thought of himself and of getting gain for himself. And he failed to realize that opinions were going to be drawn about this country based on what the people of that country saw in him. So he was the ugly American the ugly ambassador. And I'm afraid that today we could write a book called The Ugly of the Unholy Christian. So many 
So many who claim God's name give a poor accounting of God. I mean, you, you look at their lives, you listen to them talk, and you'd think, well, God doesn't mind sin. You know, grandparents will overlook things in their grandchildren that they used to spank their children for. You know how that works? Well, some people think God's that way. He'll just overlook our sin, and, and he'll even laugh at our sin. When I hear or when I read of somebody with the last name of Harris getting in trouble for something, you know what one of my first thoughts is? I wish he'd either straighten up or change his name. He may not even be related to me, but he's got the same last name, okay? And so I wish he'd just mind himself and do right or change his name or something. It causes me to wonder if God may think that about us sometimes. You know, in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it talks about Abraham and Sarah and Noah and some of these. And it says, I love this verse, it says, God was not ashamed to be called their God. What a testimony. And it causes me to wonder sometimes, is God ashamed to be called my God? Is God ashamed of the me when I don't do what I should, when I don't say what I should, when I don't live like I should, when I'm not faithful to him as I should be, is God ashamed to be identified with me? We worship and we serve a mighty God who the scripture says is of purer eyes than to look upon sin. That gives you an idea about how holy and how perfect God is. And yet what did that God do? He came down to this earth and he took upon himself the sin of the world that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what God in the form of Jesus Christ did. He came. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus was God and he came and he took on himself the sin of the world that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So I'm going to close with a couple of stanzas from an old hymn. I'm not going to sing them, but I'm going to share them. Beautiful, beautiful hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Where every realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. The holiness and the love of God demands, requires that as a child of God, one who wears the name of the God of heaven should do the very best I can do to live for him, to share him, but then to rightly represent him in this world. I don't ever want to be one who causes people to say bad things about God. Well, I look at him. He just, he says he's a preacher. He says he's a Christian. I don't believe any of that stuff because you look at it. I don't ever want to do that. And no child of God should want to do that. So the question is, not only do we see the holiness of God and recognize it daily in our lives, but are we giving him the life that he is due as our Heavenly Father?